cycle of life or a rhythm of life, as I'm going to talk about it this morning, is just a way that you're committed to living to produce a certain kind of fruit that you feel called to and that you hope to produce in your life. So you guys have talked about these four invitations of Jesus. I won't go cover that. You can listen to the last sermons on that. But then there's these four expressions of the rule of life. And the one we're talking about today is about consistent rest. And so that's why I couldn't come last week. I was like, I can't come talk about rest when I have bronchitis. <laughs> and, and I'm okay now, but if I start laughing, then I might go into like a cough and I'm not dying. That just is, is it's the lingering effect. Um, but I really care about this topic, and, and, when, and when we talk about consistent rest, the key word there is consistent, because any of us can get to the point, I got to this point so many times in my life where you're just like dead, you got sick, you're tired, you're exhausted, and then you can be like, oh, I need a rest, like I deserve a rest because I'm about to die. Um, I've read a lot in this subject, and a lot of people get either terminally ill, or they'll have a major um, sickness that happens in their life and they end up in the hospital or something. And the crazy thing about it is most people are almost relieved because they finally feel like they can take a break. And just re- even, even if it's terminal, even if it's life-threatening, it's like, oh, finally, I, I get to just exist in this bed. And so we have this, we're plagued. We have this problem of, of, is it okay to live with the rhythm of life? Is it okay to consistently rest? And I'll ask you this question as we get started here. If I just followed you around for a day, would I notice any daily expressions of rest that you're committed to? If I followed you around for a week, just by your side, not in a creepy way, but just kind of shadowed you, At the end of that week, would I be like, oh, you can count on these things happening these times. In the morning, this is going to happen. At night, this is going to happen. There's going to be this little reprieve at at midday. Would I notice any kind of weekly Sabbath, like a a day that's like, oh, this day feels different. This day is other. This day is a day committed to some play and some intentional prayer connecting with God time. Would I notice any of those things? Um, If I followed you for a whole month, which I know is like a scary thought, would I get to the end of that month and go, man, I really want this person's rhythm of life? Or would I get to the end of that month and go, man, this was haphazard, this was exhausting, this person's on a one-way train to an early death, they're going to end up in that hospital bed and then they're going to be relieved, oh, finally, I'm sick enough that I've earned a chance to rest. What would we notice if we watched your life? I found some funny slides to kind of describe what what comes to my mind and what most of my life has looked like when I've thought about this. If you said, what's your rhythm of life? If I followed you around what it would have looked like, I think you'd look at me, all right, I'm eating my sandwich. This is my life, and I've just, I've embraced it. If you go to the next one, um, I mean, when 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 we think about your life, if we could even open up the hood and kind of look inside of your life, what would it look like in there? Is it calm? Is it organized? Is it peaceful? Is there a sense of rhythm or does it look like this? Go to the next one. Um, Just another, I mean, I think this is what's happening inside my brain. (laughs) If I'm honest, like, hey, what's going on? What's your rhythm? What's going on? This is how my life can look. 
apart from Jesus and apart from what I'm going to show you today, we're going to look at three main passages of how the Bible actually informs us of what our life can look like. And, it, and it's really about the inner life. It's about how we experience our inner life and order our inner life, which is going to shape and form our outer life. And that's what we're talking about in this series. I've been listening to the messages. This isn't about ideas. Let's talk about some cool ideas. This is about how do we live in our lives? How are we practicing what we read about in that main scripture from Matthew 11 of saying, Jesus says, come learn from me. He's literally saying, watch how I do it as my disciple and learn a way of life. So we're not talking about ideas, we're talking about formation. We're talking about how are we forming our lives. And again, if you go back to that tool really quickly, we think we need some of these uh, boundary markers, some of these lattices, some of these uh, trellises to form our life in a healthy way. One of my buddies, uh, me and Ben hosted a retreat, and one of my friends who's a salesman, he's, he's a busy, energetic guy, he loved this tool. He called it the lattice. He said, oh, man, that lattice is gold. You guys need to trademark that. You need to copy mark. I mean, this gave him for the first time, instead of that disorganized, crazy desk, a way that he could start to practice living where his life would be formed in a different way. So this morning, I wanna go back to the beginning. You can go to Genesis 1. That's where we're gonna start. And here's what's crazy. Jesus shows us the, the way of living with the rhythm of life. But here's what's crazy. It's actually baked into creation from the very beginning. So Genesis 1 is where we're gonna start. Most Hebrew scholars will tell us we cannot overinterpret Genesis 1. Every word, every phrase, the way the whole thing is formed in this poetic structure, intention, and a meaning in it. So when we start, we see that there are these days or these periods of creation. The first one is uh, Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. But at the end of every day, look, notice this, it's, it doesn't say there was morning and there was evening. The first day, it actually says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God is telling time differently than us. You see this refrain over and over. The next day, the, the waters are created. There's the sky that's created. And at the end of that day, verse eight, there was evening, there was morning. The second day, this phrase happens again and again. It's at the end of one seven, one nine. At the end of every day, we see this refrain, evening and morning. The fourth day. So what does this tell us about how God views time? And maybe you've never heard this before. I remember the first time I heard this, it just blew my mind. So the way that um, the, the Jewish concept or the Hebrew mind for time would be that the day starts at sundown. So you kind of start your day with this sleep and this rest, and then it goes until the next sundown. So sundown to sundown, so when they would practice the Sabbath, it would be practicing, the, the Sabbath would start at sundown. So just a totally different way to view time. So it kind of puts it into perspective, this way of starting your day from a place of rest. So some writers have really thought deeply about this. One guy I know Ben and I both love is this pastor, Eugene Peterson. And so he was trying to be formed by the scripture 
instead of just the culture and how everybody else does it. And so as he was working this out in his own life, he said, you know what? I've learned in prep for the day, I go to sleep to get out of the way for a while. (laughs) I mean, isn't this such a different way of thinking? Okay, God, I got a lot of stuff to do tomorrow. I feel called to a lot of things. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go to sleep as an act of trusting you. There's all these Psalms about this. God doesn't sleep or slumber. When we stop working, God's still working. There's that parable of the seed where the seed is, is, is sown and it grows overnight, automatically. No one knows how it happened. God makes it grow. So there's this whole idea that I'm entering into a different rhythm, God's rhythm of saying, God, I'm not in charge. It's not all my responsibility. The number one thing that, that keeps leaders and most people awake at night is the relational tensions in their life and the big decisions that they have to make that they feel so responsible for. This is what keeps us up at night. This is where the anxiety kind of manifests. I love that God's saying, you know what? Here's, what, here's what I want you to do with that. Surrender it to me and go to sleep because you're ultimately not as responsible as you think you are. You need me. Give it to me. Surrender to me. For me to live into this, what I've had to do is say, okay, I'm not reading emails at night because <laughs> it just stresses me out and I start thinking about stuff that I can't control. I don't want to be texting someone at 10 going, hey, that was a really snarky email you sent me. You want to talk about it? <laughs> I've just learned there's all these things that like I can't engage with. If I'm going to enter into God's way of, of time, I got to drink a tea at night. I can't take a phone to my bed. <laughs> Like, I'm winding it down to try to enter in to some of that presence of God. I love it. In Genesis 3, it talks about, this is after the fall, but it's, it, it talks about this rhythm that would happen. Genesis 3, 8, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There's this rhythm where they would be walking with God at the end of the day. They heard the sound. Some translations say they heard the voice of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The word for cool there is ruah, it's the spirit. It's almost like there's this invitation at the end of the day to talk to God again, to, to, to enter into his space and his time. So this has become a big rhythm. What are your daily rhythms? For me, this has become a daily rhythm. All right, I gotta start shutting it down I gotta tune into God. I'm gonna give him the things that are making me anxious. Sometimes I can't sleep and I have to get up and journal. I have a password protected document because journaling only works if you're totally honest. And if you're not gonna be totally honest with God, he doesn't wanna hear it. What's the point? Sometimes I can't sleep and I just go there. I'm going, okay, God, this is what's making me anxious. This is what's stressing me out. This is what I'm trying to name that's in here. I'm trying to get it out there so I can release it and surrender it to you. I don't know what your daily rhythms are gonna be, but here's what happens to me. If we start our day in the evening with rest and trust in God, we wake up the next morning and it's almost like there's this grace there to say, all right, God, you've already been working. What are you inviting me into today? How do I handle that conversation? How do I invest my time? We, we start the day in this place of rest and looking for the grace of God instead of going, all right, here's my list of all the things I gotta do. For me, 
I, I love just being able to go right to God first. I try not to go to the phone first and the emails first saying, all right, God, I wanna tune in to you. What's going on for this day? Give me the strength and the energy and the power that I need. Starting your day in that place in the presence of God gives calm and organization and clarity to our lives. But we have to practice it to experience it. I wanna show you this um, slide from this One Thing book. Um, it's kind of a book, a strategic book on how to just focus on the one thing you need to do that day. But I love this um, structure of a day because I think we all need this in some way. This is what's coming out of Genesis. The highly productive person's daily energy plan. You start the day with meditation, prayer for spiritual energy. This is me going, God, I need you to fill me with what I can't fill myself with. Give me your word. Give me your, whether it's the scripture or worship, starting in that place going, I need the energy like Jesus talked about. I've got food you don't even know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. God, what's the manna that you have for me today? You start in that place, then eating right, exercising, sleeping sufficiently for physical energy. That's honoring the temple. Like, all right, God, I've got this vessel you've given me to move through this life with. I wanna take care of it so I feel energized for the day. Hug, kiss, and laugh with loved ones for emotional energy. I can just get dialed into what I'm doing for that day, and I've gotten so convicted over the years. I need to connect emotionally with my wife, with my kids in the morning. I need to have that, that human connection. God's okay with that. We don't just have to get up and start cramming and, and cruising for the whole day. Set goals and calendar for mental energy and then time block your one thing for business energy. Um, the main thing I wanna see, see here is the thing underlined. When you spend the early hours energizing yourself, you get pulled through the rest of the day with little additional effort. I found that to be so true. God, if I'm organizing my life according to the scripture, I'm going to sleep in your rest, I'm trusting you, I'm waking up in the morning, you've already been working, I'm entering into that grace, power me up, help me see what I can't see. And when you start your day that way, energizing yourself, allowing God to fill you up, it just carries you, it just pulls you through the rest of the day. It's like you've got an unfair advantage. It's like you're in on the secret of the universe going, I've been talking with God this morning, I've been walking with him. This is gonna be a fun day. We're gonna see some unexpected things. I don't have to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, I get to do this day with God. This is how Jesus lived. You see him getting up in the morning while it's still dark and getting that prayer time. And what happens in that prayer time is he gets revelation for the day. He often says, here's where we're going, we're doing this. He's got insight for the rest of the day that all of us have access to if we prioritize it. Now, this is not easy to do. It's hard. I don't wanna get up in the morning. I don't wanna work out first thing in the morning. I don't wanna do all this stuff. Every night, it's a choice to be like, oh, Lord, help me make the healthy choice so I can live a fruitful life. This is not easy. Um, but I've looked back over my life and said, where's the most fruitful times where I've been the most godly and I've been, my body works the best? It's when I'm living in these deep rhythms and I've got these invitations of Jesus dialed in. And so it's worth the cost. There's a cost here. The cost of not going to bed in God's grace and waking up and spending some time with him in the morning though is greater than the cost of doing it. The cost of not doing it is my life is disorganized, I'm mindlessly moving through the day, I'm just choosing whatever's easiest, rest looks like just entertainment, and I'm disconnected from God, I'm disconnected from the source, and I don't feel his power and his presence working with me. So 
There's a cost to doing it, but there's a greater cost to not doing it. So that's the, the, the daily experience. Now the weekly experience, the weekly rhythm is right here in Genesis 2. So we finished evening and morning in chapter 1. Then it says in Genesis 2, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. How beautiful is that? All the work we do feels like it's never finished. God was like, yep, it's done. It's finished. It's complete. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. If God rests one day a week, can we give ourselves permission to do the same? <laughs> if God says it's okay, can our like Protestant work ethic that just drives us to never stop, like can we, can we enter into the scripture and say, okay, what would that do to me? This is what God does. Maybe, maybe I need to do this. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, which just means it's different. It's set apart. It's a different kind of day because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We're creating God's image. We're creators. We can't help but create. We love to create. This makes us come alive. But there's something holy about saying, but then I'm going to cease from creating. And I'm going to enter into a different kind of time. And that's what this Sabbath rhythm is. Here's the interesting thing about the Sabbath. If you go through these slides, everything that's blessed in Genesis is, if you go to these next one, the animals are blessed, and it explicitly links that blessing to the ability to create life, to reproduce. Humans are blessed, and it's explicitly linked to the ability to, to create, reproduce life. And then, what else is blessed? The Sabbath day. This is interesting to me because the implication here is that there is a sacred ability, a divine mystery that within the Sabbath, it has the ability to give life if we enter into it, to give life. Here's how Leviticus 23.11 says it. It says, let the land lie fallow. Let the land lie fallow. One day a week, let the land rest. Every six years, let the land rest for a whole year. And then it links it to the Sabbath, and it says when you enter into that rest, when you let the land lie fallow and you don't do anything, you're refreshed. It says so that the people might be refreshed. That's Leviticus 23, 12. There is something powerful and life-giving about living into the rhythm of creation that God has, has baked into it. I don't know how else to explain it. And you don't have to do it, but if you go against it long enough, you will break as a human being. Because you're a human being, you're not a human doing, you are a being, and if you go against the rhythm of God's creation long enough, you break. Your body breaks. There's been all these studies where people have tried to go to like a 13-day week. People just can't do it. They're exhausted. The body breaks down. Now, if you go to that next slide, in the New Testament, I mean, we don't have time to get there, but the Sabbath carries life-giving power and ultimately points us towards Christ. So Christ is revealed like as this perpetual Sabbath rest of, of what he does through the cross and he invites us into to living our life in this way of, of being with him. So it's not just a day, it's a, it's a mode of existence. Um, when you first start practicing this though, you might get depressed. I mean, 
this is what happened to us. I was like, okay, I can't keep going the way I'm going. So I'm trying to stab a thing, but when you get off all the hits of that adrenaline and you're not checking those emails, you're not checking those socials, you're not looking at your bank account, you're not trying to get more or get some kind of hit, it is hard. You're like an addict and you're coming off stuff. You're going through withdrawals. (laughs) This is something that takes some time and some practice. So what we used to do when I was preaching every single Sunday Friday was our Sabbath, and Thursday night, we would just make it a point as a family, like, we're going to get good food that we want, which was usually like some form of Mexican, like, let's get that, Mex- that Tex-Mex in here, we're going to feast, not because the work is done, it's never done, we're going to choose to stop, because God stopped, and we're being formed by him, and we want to learn, eat a good meal, and enjoy maybe a choice beverage and just kind of enter into a different kind of space and time. It was like a little ritual to say something's different about this day. Um, I love competition. I love playing. One of the things that I play sports anymore. I was like, all I did as a kid. And so we ended up getting this basketball game going Friday mornings. My mom's over the gym at Mercer University. And so we got a group of guys that have been playing basketball for like five years now, 6 a.m., on Friday morning, I love, so excited to get in there and just have fun. Be like, we're out here, no responsibility. It just fills my tank. Everybody plays hard, but no one's a jerk. And then I leave that, it's a day where I'm not thinking about all the things I gotta do. I'm just entering in to the joy and the delight of living. This is Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for us. God created it for us to be a delight. So it's a Rest and, and rest in God. John 15, this is the interpretive key for what it means to rest in a way that we're connected to God. This passage, this is not a proof text to me. This has formed me. I love John 15. It is so powerful. I think it's one of the most important teachings of Jesus because he's saying, here's how you live in this rhythm that, that we're talking about. Here's my way. Learn from me. This is how I do it. He's literally saying, this is what I do, guys. This is what I do with the Father. And this is how I've lived this fruitful, joy-filled life, and this is how I'm inviting you to do it with me. Do it to me the way I have done it with the Father. And he says in here, I'm the vine. I'm the source, John 15, 5. You're the branches. You're the extensions of me. Remain in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, You can do nothing. And I think he literally means you can do nothing. (laughs) Uh, I I love different translations of stuff because it just helps us. One of the um, resources I found is this this Woost expanded um, translation of the New Testament. This is a Greek scholar. I love how he talks about it in here. He says, the way he talks about abiding, he says, maintain a living communion with me and I with you. Maintain a living communion with me and I with you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who maintains a living communion with me and I with him, that is the one that bears much fruit because apart from me, you're not able to do anything. Then he goes on, because later in the passage it says, remain in my love, because here's what happens. If we abide in him, if we live in this communion with him, it leads to love. 
That's how you know you're disconnected. You're not loving yourself. You're not loving God. You're not loving anybody. You're just mad about everything. You're frustrated about everything. You're negative about everything. You're critical about everything. That's a key sign. I'm not abiding. I got to get back on the vine. And here's how Wu says it. Remain within the sphere of the love, which is mine. I love that. When I'm connected with him, I'm living within the sphere of his love. I'm seeing people through his eyes. Um, The way that the message talks about this, it says, live in me. What does it mean to abide? Live in me. Live in me. So what are you doing in these, in these Sabbath moments or these morning moments, even if you got 10, 15, 20 minutes? To me, I'm just going, God, help me live in you again. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing whatever I gotta do. I'm reading a scripture. I'm writing in my journal. I'm listening to a song going, God, I'm disconnected. Or I'm connected, but I wanna be more connected. Some of my recent prayers just been like, God, my heart, longs for eternity, I want everything. I'm like this bottomless pit of, of needs and desires and wants, and I can express those in all sorts of unhealthy ways out there in the world, or I can come to you, which I think is what Jesus is trying to get us to do, and go, God, fill me with eternity. I want it all. Fill me with the only thing that's gonna fill me up, which is you, and Paul says, you can't even be filled up to the fullness of God, but he'll give you enough to that you overflow, and that's what we want. That's my prayer right now. Just God, give me, I need, I want eternity. Fill me up with all of it. And when that starts flowing through you, oh my gosh, you got ideas, you got creativity, you're seeing the world. It's like you're on drugs, but you're not. It's the real thing. You are connected to the source, and you're going, oh, he's filling me with what I need. Oh my gosh. Ordinary life is amazing, it's fantastic. There's so many opportunities here. Look at what God's doing. You start to see things the way that he sees things. I got two vines here that I brought from, uh, I got these vines growing in my backyard, I just like plants. And uh, this one got chopped by my kids, I don't know, a soccer ball or something. It's totally dead, it's on the vine. I mean, it's brittle. There's nothing good about this. It, It would easily burn up, which is funny because the, the passage says if you get disconnected from the vine, it's like you're, you're worthless. It basically just, it just burns up. This one I cut off this morning. Felt kind of bad about it, but I did it for a good, same vine, same thing. Looks totally different. It even has like a little berry on it. This is a uh, special kind of honeysuckle. I bought it from the zoo at the zoo plant sale years ago, and it produces this awesome flower. This thing is just bursting with life. What's the difference? This one's connected to the vine. This one got disconnected. Same thing, totally different result. Guys, we know this. We walk through life and we can tell who's on the vine and who's not. We might not always have language for it. We might be like, well, I'm a Christian. I believe the right stuff. If I'm not abiding in him, I'm not able to produce the kind of Jesus kingdom fruit that he promises. So this is not hard to do. It's actually really simple It's just something we have to consistently do, consistently do. Here's the thing that's crazy about this too. This is free. (laughs) You don't need money for this. Anybody has access to it. And it's as simple as usually turning stuff off and going, God, help me live in you again. What am I not seeing? I can listen to whatever I want. (laughs) I get it. I mean, sometimes me and my wife, I'll be like, I gotta just go for an, I gotta get out of here. 
I, I'm literally just, you know, a, a menace to you and to society. And I just have to go on a walk and be like, God, bring me back. My wife, you know, she gets real feisty. I'm like, you just need to go for a run, all right? Get out there. Get back on the vine. I get it. We just got to know when we're disconnected and say, hey, I need, just lock yourself in a closet if you have to. You know, take a bath. Drink a tea. I've got this sauna under my house. I love it. I just go down under there and I just crank that thing up and I'm just, I need physical places to be like, this is where I abide. When I was at college at uh, Clemson University, when I just started feeling really disconnected, I'd go down to this dock and look at these little hills, and that was my spot. That was like my abide spot. I need a physical place that is gonna trigger that remaining, that living into him. This is where we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, true goodness. We're listening to God first. I'm not listening to the news first, not listening to my feelings first. I'm not listening to my frustrations first or even my friends. I'm listening to God first. God, help me. What am I not seeing here? Fill me again with yourself. Give me some vision. Give me some excitement. So John 15, there's this tool I wanna show you. What, what I like about it is it's, it's not saying work is bad and rest is good. They're equal partners. If you go to that first tool, the, the rhythm that we see here is he says, abide, remain, rest in me, and then you're gonna bear fruit. I want you to bear fruit. No, 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 go to the, uh, yeah, that, there we go. So there's this, there's this continuum. There's these equal partners. We're abiding and then we're fruitful. If you go to the next one, there's a series of these. It's, it's rest and then enter back into that work where you can enjoy it and throw yourself into it again. There's this feeling of acceptance. I'm remaining in his love and then I'm able to go outside and achieve stuff. Now, here's the thing. We get this backwards. And we think, if I work hard enough, then I deserve some rest. We do the morning to evening thing. I worked hard this morning, so now I can rest in the evening. God keeps saying, no, 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 it's different. It's counterintuitive. So God keeps saying, you're never gonna achieve your, yourself into an, a feeling of acceptance. And a lot of us are out there, we're working so hard. If I just prove myself, if I just get that degree, if I get that job, if I can make this much money, if I can save this much, if I can get these accolades, if I get this recognition, if I have this many followers, if I have this much of a reach, then I'll finally feel accepted. It's an inside job, it never works. You can't achieve your way to acceptance. We, we get to rest in the acceptance and go, oh my gosh, God accepts me. And I don't have to do anything, I don't have to prove myself. Everybody else might want me to prove myself, but God's saying I don't. And then I can leave from that place of acceptance and, and live into some pretty powerful achievements. But I'll never get there the other way around. Same thing with identity and purpose. My purpose is important, but my purpose doesn't give me identity. My identity gives me my purpose. And this is what I always come back to. It's like the simplest revelations. You're sitting with God and he's like, rest isn't just about a day off. It is actually an act of resistance because when you rest, you're resisting all the false identities that you're constantly tempted to live out of. When I rest, I see them, the false identities that I'm constantly falling into. So the last passage I want you to see is, is uh, Exodus uh, 5. Exodus 5, and this is kind of, there, there's one of the 10 commandments, one of the top 10 is remember the Sabbath. And it's actually the longest command. The Exodus 20 version of it says, 
Rest because it's a blessed day. It has this life-giving power. The Deuteronomy version of it in Deuteronomy 5 says, rest because you need to remember that you aren't slaves. But Exodus 5 gives us the backstory, and I read this. I hadn't read this in years. It was so powerful. I just had to, to, to share this because this shows us how Sabbath is an act of resistance. Rest is an act of resistance. It says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. So it started off just as a three-day journey. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why, look at this, this is so powerful. Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Go get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. The rest was challenging the system of productivity and they couldn't do that. It had, the machine had to keep moving. It gets worse. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go make sacrifices to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. There's so much in this passage. There's a quota, there's a system. Make these bricks every single day. You are how many bricks you produce. Ever heard that before? Uh, I hear that every single day. I am what I produce. What do I produce today? That's how much value I have. What do I produce today? Oh, that's my value, that's my identity. You are what you produce. And, and Pharaoh says, if you rest, it's because you're lazy. Guys, I hear the voice of Pharaoh every single day. He's still speaking. It's the voice of Pharaoh, it's the voice of the enemy, it's the voice of the system saying it's all about production, it's all about what we're making. Well, we just finished a pyramid. Well, I got another one. <laughs> we just finished that big project. Can we enjoy, can we celebrate? Do another one. You're only as good as your last project. You're only as good as the last thing you came through with. You're only as good as your last sale. You're only as good as your last deal. You're only as good as your last sermon. You're only as good as your last class you taught. You're only as good as the last coaching session you did. You're only as good as the last training you did. You're only as good as the last parenting day you had. Man, I had 10 good parenting days and I had one bomb and all I'm thinking about is the bomb and I'm terrible. And Pharaoh says, don't pay attention to the lies. Who's lying here? Pharaoh's the liar. But everybody's falling for it. And they go, this is who we are, we're slaves. Guys, we fall into this every single day. I'm just a slave, I'm just a worker, I'm just the bricks I produce. Our bricks might look different than their bricks, but we're falling into the same thing. Pharaoh says, if you rest, you're lazy. God says, if you rest, it's holy. I mean, that's so powerful. It's holy, it's different, it's set apart. You're not slaves, you're sons. You're not slaves, you're daughters. 
I was watching Hook with my family. <laughs> Friday night and Saturday. And if you've seen it recently, it, I mean, it will make you cry. It is powerful. Peter Pan forgets who he is. He's working his butt off. He's driving everybody. He's Pharaoh. He is a driver. He never stops. He's missing his own life. He's missing his own family. And he gets around those lost boys again, and they're trying to remind him of who he is. And that one kid goes up to him, and he stretches his face. They're all going, you're old, you're fat, you can't fly anymore. All you do is work. But he stretches his face, and his face turns into a smile. And that kid goes, there you are, Peter. And they see him again. And then he starts to see himself again. He goes, oh my gosh, what have I become? I'm just working. I'm just making bricks. I'm calling myself lazy and everybody else lazy. And he enters back into that true identity. To play, to connect, to pray, to see that life is more than just getting bricks. It's about connecting, relating. It's about living in the love of God. Sabbath reminds us that we're not slaves. It reveals what we're trusting in. Because I trust in the bricks I produce. I trust in the work I do. I trust in the results that I've delivered. And this is what God says. Be careful. When you get out of Egypt, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Deuteronomy 8 says, you're going to find this wealth. You're going to find this increase. And you're going to be tempted to say, look at what my hands have done. But remember on that day, isn't it God who gave you the ability to work and to produce wealth? Sabbath reminds us, and then it reveals to us, what am I trusting? Am I, am I trusting in God and his ability and what he's given to me, or am I trusting in what I can do? I love the definition of contentment. It's, it's to, to have enough. <laughs> it's the state of saying enough is enough. I don't need one more brick to feel a certain way. Sabbath reveals to us what we're trusting in so that we can say, you know what? God's given me what I need. It reminds us, it reveals us what we're trusting in, and then it allows us to receive. To receive the grace of God. Because we stop putting our hands to all this stuff and we start to go open-handed and say, God, what do you want me to see? What do you have for me? What can you give to me by grace that, that I can't work for and get? That's what we do. Every day when we're abiding, and then every week on Sabbath, it's opening us up to receive. The last thing I want to show you is this cycle, and then we'll be done. This, this cycle. When we, there's a virtuous cycle. When we live into God's revelation of rest and rhythm, we realize, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. Or less. I'm loved by God. This is my source of identity. It renews my energy and focus. I'm Filled with eternity. Just like Jesus, I got food that you don't even know about. This is what's driving me. And then I can go and love others and do my work in the world. That's the virtuous cycle that we get to live into. And it's a flywheel. It keeps turning and turning. And it will produce supernatural fruit that you cannot explain. The disastrous cycle is exactly the opposite. I'm not connected to the vine. So I forget that I'm loved by God. I'm just this little broken twig. <laughs> Producing becomes the source of my identity, and it's never enough. I lose my focus. I start coping in all sorts of unhealthy ways, and I cannot love others and do my work in the world. 
I get entitled, I get bitter, I get frustrated. It's everybody else's fault. It's not my responsibility. I sabotage my own life. So this rhythm of rest and these Sabbaths, it's about saying, you know what? I'm gonna stop producing and pursuing gain during certain parts of my day and certain parts of my week. I'm gonna receive everything. I'm just gonna be. And how we live our day. Calendar out your year. When do you when do you when do you want to do rest, recreation, and retreat? I talk to people all the time, like, what do you love? They're like, I love surfing. When's the last time you did it? Five years ago. Wow. <laughs> like, what do you love to do? What gets you excited? What fills you up again? What makes you feel like Peter, it's you, you know? What brings you back to that moment? When's the last time you did that thing? Calendar that baby into your life. Receive it as a gift from God. That's how he created you. So when are you gonna do that thing? Oh, someone asked me to do something. I'm busy. I have an appointment. That's what you say. <laughs> you do. You have an appointment with God. <laughs> you, you, you've made it a priority. Go to the next one. Um, what, what would it look like to just begin practicing Sabbath? How do you play and pray best? Maybe it's just a few hours you guys do as a family. Maybe it's a few hours you do just just. Work your way into this. Talk to God about it. Lord, what would it look like for us to Sabbath? How else might adopting a rhythm of life shape the experience of your life? I'll just share with you two practical things we did. We have a calendar. It's a monthly calendar in our uh, hallway. I mean, I write that thing up. I, I need to see it because I got all this stuff in here. Oh, we got all these things we got to do. When I get it on that, it's calm and we can go, where do we need some rest? Where are we going to need to lean in? Where we might get frustrated with each other? Just putting it out there has helped so much. Then the other thing I have, and I'm, if, uh, if I ever just you know get fired or whatever, this is the business that we're gonna start. <laughs> My wife made a chore wheel for our two oldest kids who can actually help, because we're just doing chores all the time. We're like, guys, this is enough, enough's enough. You're gonna help do these chores. And we got this chore wheel, do the dishes, vacuum, wipe off, countertop, sweep, and we just turn this baby and everybody gets two you know, a night, and they can't watch TV and all that stuff until the chores are done. It's, it's work and play, equal partners. You can do whatever you want with your screen after the chores are done. This has like fundamentally transformed our life. Everybody that sees it at our house, they're like, oh, I need one of those chore wheels. How much? <laughs> and the funny one is when they get like a vacuum and dishes, they're like, oh, it's terrible, I can't do it. They wail and and. and flail and cry on the ground, you know, like, sorry, man, you gotta help us out here. We're, te we're, we're living in this rhythm. There's a daily rhythm. There's a weekly rhythm. We're, we're organizing our life. We're being formed into the people we wanna be. So just a couple simple things that have helped us. I don't know what practices you wanna do, but I trust the conversation the Holy Spirit's having with you. God, what would it look like for me to start to gain back control of my life, to plan it and design it with you. So I'm gonna pray for us. We'll have communion. Bands are gonna come back up. Um, maybe you just wanna come to the communion table and just confess whatever the Holy Spirit's stirring in your heart. God, this is where I need you in my life right now. This is where I need your grace. If you need prayer from anybody on the prayer team, just come and ask. Just, just confess whatever's going on in your heart. Just pray for me. What an amazing opportunity. There's no other organization you can go to where you come up to someone and say, can you speak a blessing over me? And they'll put their hand on you and bless you with the words of life. I can't get that at the gym. I'm not getting that at Home Depot. Jay Christopher's not gonna do that when I get my breakfast sandwich. 
Like, what an amazing opportunity to come in here and have a spirit. People prayed for me this morning. It was unbelievable. I was going, this is a different feeling than, than where you can get anywhere else. This is a gift of God. So if you just need prayer, come to the prayer team this morning. Just pray. Maybe you don't even have anything specific. Just pray over me. Um, Lord, I, I pray you just form us through these scriptures. Thank you for these scriptures. We didn't read these because we had to. These, these scriptures are holding power to shape our life, to help us see the world the way that you created it. Thank you that there's a rhythm of rest with work. Thank you that there's a day in the week that's different from the other days. Thank you that we get to play and pray and stay kids even throughout our whole life, even into our old age. You said become childlike to enter the kingdom. Lord, show us the kingdom again. We wanna seek first the kingdom and your righteousness, that true goodness, and, and we believe you'll give us all things as we do that. Lord, give us a revelation of where we're living, our, our rhythm of life shaped so much more by the culture than by your, your way, Jesus, your design. Lord, I pray that you'd connect us. Show us how to be connected to you. We wanna be in that source with you continually remaining in your flow of life. Lord, you, you showed us the way, Jesus. Teach us how to do it like you. I pray throughout the day, you would just give us prompts by your spirit when we start to get disconnected from you. Help us through music and through prayer and through scripture and through edifying conversations, just bring us back into that flow with you. Lord, we surrender afresh to you. Thank you for the freedom you've given us. But thank you for these rhythms you've shown us that we can obediently enter into and experience supernatural life, supernatural fruits. That's what we want. Lord, I pray you give us courage. Reveal to us all the things we're trusting in, all the metrics, all the bricks, all the quotas that we're looking to to fill us. Reveal that to us. Reveal those false identities to us. We can say that's not the way that's not my identity. That's not really gonna bring joy in my life. That's not gonna produce fruit. Reveal those things to us so that we can resist those things as we rest in you. Thank you for the work that you're gonna do through this body as we abide in you. We just celebrate the fact that we get to come back to you this morning to live with 